0: Welcome into the Wednesday Bible Study. We are so thankful that you uh, are with us today, whether you're with us uh, live or you're catching the archive either on the Rick and Bubba YouTube channel or on the podcast channel. Uh, we are thankful that you are here. Uh, just so you know, if you do ever want to go back and get archives, you can get those at themanchurch.com. There's a there's a media button up at the top. If you'll just put your cursor on that, there'll be a drop-down menu. You can watch the archive or you can listen to to the archive, uh, whichever you prefer. Uh, this is part of a men's discipleship strategy from Manchurch.com. If you'd like to find out, even today, more and more churches plugging in, plugging in, plugging in, and and we're hearing from all over the country and into Canada and even uh, around the world. And the, the thing we keep hearing, I, I actually had a conversation uh, with a pastor of uh, of 24 years. He said, we tried everything there is and this is by far uh, the best strategy. He said, the sustainability, that's where we keep hearing sustainability. We, we start, first of all, nobody has ever offered to men a 40 week curriculum. Uh, he said, I admit when I first saw that, I thought, wow, this is a lofty bunch to keep men in small group Bible studies for 40 weeks. How dare us uh, ask for such a commitment uh, for, to be a follower of Jesus Christ? But. Uh, he said uh, the way it is designed and set up, they, I think in that particular church, they started out with 136 men, and he said 40 weeks later, we still had 106. He said, I, I, I could not believe we still had over 100 men in it. And so the, the thing that kind of sets our strategy apart from anything that's out there and really anything that's been tried before is curriculum. That, that's the difference. Uh, and, uh, you know, it's, it's one thing to get people in small groups. That's a good thing, but if you don't have people that can expository teach, uh, good luck uh, finding uh, uh, material uh, for those small groups that's designed for men. Now, you can find material that's designed for women. You can find material designed for youth. You can find material designed for children. You can even find material design, designed for co-ed. But, uh, but you just, you're you not going to find material, much of it out there, that's designed for men. And, and as we say, we, we, we have found that the most effective way to reach and disciple men is not to treat them uh, or treat us like we're women and children, because we're not. And and what works for them won't work for us, and what works for us probably is not effective for them. Uh, we are beautifully distinct, but uh, but absolutely equal. So anyway, we have four curricula right now. We have their 40-week curricula, different topics. We have a fifth one coming out this year in 2024. We also have individual resources for men. So if you'd like to find those you can just go to the manchurch.com. We also have two conferences coming up. Uh, May eighth uh, and uh, I'm sorry, March 8th and 9th in Startville, Mississippi. Uh, Granger Smith will be there. James Spann, Scott Dawson, uh, Andy Blanks and I will be speaking. Chuck Hooten will be doing worship. That's uh, at the Bettersworth Theater. Uh, there's probably a hundred Uh, Seats available for that before it's sold out. If you want to go get those in with Mississippi, Uh, and then uh, February 16th and 17th, boy, it's not far away, uh, we'll be in Birmingham at the Wright Center, Sanford University. There's probably about 300 seats left for that before it's sold out if you want to get those, and we'll see you at either of those or both of those, Uh, and then if you are watching or listening to this archive uh, and it is the, the week of the 26th and 27th of January, uh, I'll be honored to now be the guest of Long Hollow Church, Hendersonville, Tennessee, for their men's conference coming up this weekend. So if you're going to be there, we'll see you. So why don't we open up in a word of prayer. Here's where we're going to be, if you want to go ahead and turn there. We're walking through the book of 2 Corinthians. Fascinating letter, fascinating history, uh, fascinating uh, words uh, inspired by the Holy Spirit through the Apostle Paul. We'll be in chapter 6 today. And we're probably, my goal is to get us to verse 13. That That's my goal, 1, one through 13. So let's open in a word of prayer and invite the Holy Spirit to join us. Lord, thank you for today. May your Holy Spirit... Uh, just give us a, a heart to to hear the ability to apply uh, me, a very flawed human being, uh, the ability to teach it correctly and perfectly through the power of the Holy Spirit. We praise your holy name, Lord. We thank you for the grace that you have offered to all who repent and leave faith in self to place their faith in you. Guide us today and the power of in the name of Jesus we pray, amen. All right, so uh, here, here's what's going on. So the, the Apostle Paul, we ended uh, chapter 5 last week. Now Paul's about to make a shift, okay? He's, he's been making sure that we understand his commission. He's also making sure we understand his resume. And he, he has spent the first five chapters making sure that we understood those two things. So he's going to, to make a, a, a bit of a shift right here to a consideration uh, that he he is now going to speak directly to his converts. Uh, he wants to talk about the faithful partnership, uh, and we're going to do this. This is going to be going really all the way through chapter 7. That's going to be the theme. He's going to now start talking to the people that, uh, that repented and to, to follow Jesus, and they're the ones he's discipling. They're his converts. And now he wants to talk about this partnership in the faith that we have with the Apostle Paul uh, that now would be going to us. And then later, when we get into uh, you know eight and nine, he'll talk about financial partnerships and and some of the things, and it'll be a good lesson for us about our money. Um, and uh, and then he he's going to enlighten all the converts uh, uh, over the next few chapters on, on on various topics. So right out of the gate, what he wants the converts to know about is a call to service. We're called to service. Now this is gonna if you if you were with us on the. Uh, the study of uh, the the first letter from Paul, uh, 1 Corinthians, you're going to hear something right out of the gate that is very familiar. Uh, and I reference this a lot because when the Apostle Paul taught me this, I'm going to tell you something, men and, and women who are watching and listening around the country, men in the room, it floored me. and And it has become one of those things that I put out in front of my life, like when I get up, it's one of the things that I take and I put on. It, it it had that much impact on me, and and so you're going to hear it said a different way uh, in Second Corinthians, but I remember Paul's echo of this in First Corinthians. So here's the first thing he says in verse uh, verse one, working together with him, talking about Christ. Then we appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain. Now, some of you that were in the, the study of 1 Corinthians, or maybe you've gone back to the study of 1 Corinthians, anybody remember, and you all have heard me reference it over and over again, 1 Corinthians 10, anybody? I'm 15, I'm sorry, 9 and 10. 1 Corinthians 15, 9 and 10. I shouldn't even be an apostle. Oh, man. You talk about power okay and and so he he, he says I, in, in first Corinthians he says I shouldn't even be an apostle so keep in mind this is back to the the letter another letter to Corinth so they're remembering this he, this is a reminder and he says because I know that I persecuted the church I know how sinful I was I know how wrong I was I can I'm this is an assumption I'm speculating but I think if you probably took people off to jail and you killed people you probably think about that a lot okay I don't think that's a step out. And and he's saying, because he says himself, I persecuted the church. Don't you think that's what he's saying? I remember the things I did. I, I, was, I, I had zeal, and I was a zealot for God. I was just wrong. I missed what God said about Jesus until I had my encounter with him. So I was passionately wrong, but I can't go back and undo the sin that I committed against these people. I can't undo it. Anybody got sin in your life you wish you could go back and undo, but you can't? Okay. well, so did the Apostle Paul. You're in pretty good company. Okay. and he says, so here's what I do. So you ever thought about what about the sin, Rick, that I've been redeemed from? Now, one thing we don't do, we do not let the adversary, because that's where it comes from, are are his forces. We do not allow him to put guilt on us. We don't allow him to say, well, you know, you can never serve Jesus because of that one thing. That's when we quote to him Romans chapter eight, verse one. Uh, therefore there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. And then we hear the echoes, which we just talked about back in chapter five, the, the old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. You are a new creation in Christ. We know that scripture tells us that when we truly repent, that God takes our sins and he moves them as far as the East is from the West. We know that Jesus makes us fully righteous. So we will not be guilted about our past sin if we know that Jesus has forgiven us of what we have repented of. Now, if we you hadn't repented of it, that's different. But if you've repented of it, Jesus has heard the sincerity that has been removed. So it's not about guilt. So don't, don't hear Paul when he's talking about this grace in vain that it's riding on guilt. It's not that. What he is saying is, I know that I've been given grace. I acknowledge the grace, and I never want Christ to to look at the grace that he gave me through what he went through and think it was in vain. He's going to get a return on it. It's not about earning redemption, but it sure is about a response to redemption. And that's what Paul's trying to teach us. And he's coming back to it again. Because he says, I know how much grace I was shown. And he said, so I work harder than all the apostles because I know how sinful I was. I know what I put on Jesus. And I never want him to see my life and think it was in vain. And that's a tough question. Y'all have heard me bring it up again, but it starts our study today. I'm going to put it out in front of all of us, no matter where you are. If Jesus Christ is looking at your life right now, Rick, I'm, I'm, I'm with you, looking at my life right now, do you think there's anything he could see in your life that says, well, that wasn't much of a response to my grace? Not getting much on that one. Well, Paul said, no, I don't want to be in that company. And now he's going to his converts, and he's saying, working together with Jesus, then I want to make an appeal to you. You know what that means? You ever heard anybody say, can I make an appeal to you about something? He said, hey, I want you to consider something. Why don't you consider that you're going to live your life knowing that you've received grace from God. Let's live it that we don't live like we received grace from God in vain a powerful i'm telling you it, it 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 changed it was one of those things that god was like all right when you're ready for this i'm gonna give it to you and and when he gave it to me i'm gonna tell you in the last three years that i that since i've saw it the first time and i keep revisiting it i'm gonna tell you i'll take that and i place it on my life every day every day and and i tell you it's one of those things that when you go you know i don't really feel up to being about the business of of the church i don't feel like being obedient to what I've been called to do. I don't feel like answering the call. Don't think I will. Not sure I'm going to do that. Remember this. okay? You can't repay what God has done for, for you. I can't either. But I'll tell you what I can do. I'm going to acknowledge the grace came at a cost, and I'm going to acknowledge that it should get something in return. And that'd be that's my obedience. So, uh, so, and that's what he's saying. So then, and this—he he, doesn't take long here at all. The greatness of the ministry. Don't let the grace be in vain. That's what he wants over the ministry. We're working together with Christ. We cannot. Hang on now. We cannot accept His grace and then refuse to be sanctified. Let's let that sit. Let's let that sit. See, at first you thought, okay, I got you on service. You're saying he's saying something else too? Yes, he is. What did he tell the church at Thessalonica in 1 Corinthians chapter 4? He said, you guys are doing great, but I don't want you to waver and I don't want you to fall away. He's not talking about redemption. He said, I want you to keep on doing what you're doing, but do it even to a higher level. I want you to want to mature in the faith because he says what? I don't want you to stop your sanctification. And then he goes further because this is the will of God. Whoa, wait a minute now. Now, if I come up to you and and I say, hey, uh, I think it would be a good idea uh, if you would go down uh, to uh, Jimmy Hill Mission and take some food by there. Okay, that, that seems like a nice thing to do. And you'd probably do it. What if I said, hey, you need to go down every Tuesday and take food to Jimmy Hill Mission because this is the will of God. Oh, oh what man? So I, I know I'm sorry. What? This is a biggie. Oh, it's a biggie. Yeah, this this is something he says non negotiable. Well, sanctification is non negotiable. Uh, now, now let's go even deeper on this. Let's go even deeper. Now let's go to Matthew seven. When Jesus starts talking about those that are with him and those that aren't, and that we got people saying things, but we got people doing things, and it's what they do that actually shows whether they're with me or not. And then he says, "Only those that do the will of my Father are the real deal. Everybody else is just talking. If you see people talking about me but they're not doing the will of my Father, I don't know them." Now, here's where I'm going to take a bit of a step and I acknowledge it. But there's there's many others in our faith that have pondered the same thing. And many have gone ahead and dropped the hammer and says, I think Scripture's clear on this. I'll say it this way. Is it possible, based on the power of Jesus, is it even possible to be justified and somehow not be sanctified? There's some version of justification that doesn't include sanctification. If you say yes, I think that might be something we invented. You know, the carnal Christian thing? Oh, he's still he's going to heaven just carnal. I'm not the judge of that, but I'm just telling you, and you've heard me on this theme a lot because it's what I had learned. I, I got a real problem, and so does a lot of Scripture, and so do many theologians, was somehow I can encounter Jesus— and sanctification not happen. I refuse sanctification. Now, sanctification is something that we pursue. It does require action. But what I'm saying is, I don't think there's a way that we could encounter Jesus and not be drawn by him toward sanctification. Well, that's one thing that he's saying, too, about grace being in vain. Don't let me see you guys claiming you've received the grace of God and you're not being sanctified. We need to be growing up. You're going to hear him double down on that here just just a little bit. So some really good things to ponder right out of the gate. Now, I will say this. I told you they were out there. Charles Hodge, I'm going to tell you what Charles said, and, and, he's, and, and he is a, a powerful man of God. Justification and sanctification cannot be separated. One cannot accept one and reject the other. Now, you may agree or disagree with that, but I want you to know that it's been said, and I think that uh, it's—what he's saying, you would have a much easier time, if there was a court case going on, saying, I'm in the camp of justification will lead to uh, a pursuit of sanctification. You would have a much better case than somebody saying, no, I think you can be justified and just never grow. You'd struggle with your case. I'm not saying that I'm coming down on it today. I'm just saying— You'd have a tough case, so so and and you heard what he said. So then uh, the 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 next thing that, that Paul's going to talk about, <clears throat> he's going to quote the the prophet Isaiah, in Isaiah forty nine eight, and here's what he says in verse two: For he says, In a favorable time I listened to you, and in a day of salvation I have helped you. Behold, now is the favorable time. Underline that. Behold, now. Is the day of salvation. It's just going to get better, guys. I'm just going to tell you, we are going to have a blast today. So there is a day of grace. There is a time of salvation. And the Apostle Paul says, that day is now. So it's not in the future. Guys, y'all should celebrate. You're in the new covenant. You're in the church. This is a game changer. Rick, I would like to be redeemed. Today's the day. Not in the future. Anybody know the story of D.L. Moody? The biggest regret he ever had in his life. Anybody know this one? And it really, really bothers me when I see this being something that, that has drifted a little bit, and that is no response to the gospel. The gospel demands a response, and the message isn't the day of salvation may may be worked out when you go home later today or maybe sometime this week. We got to get back to the day of salvation is now, right now. You just heard the gospel, and what is your response? D. L. Moody. It's a very famous story. It's a sad story. Um, in 1871, everybody know who D. L. Moody is. He's a hoss of the faith. Bottom line, okay. So it was in 1871. He, he had uh, a congregation at uh, Farewell Hall in Chicago. And, I mean, they were coming by droves, and it was growing and growing. I mean, he was laying it down in Chicago. Well, he decided to pivot on what he normally did, and he did a message. Uh, how many of you have heard the message that God gave me that's out of Scripture um, about um, don't choose Barabbas? Has anybody ever heard me do that? Okay. So you know, in that that that, and if this was a similar message from Moody's. Why I'm saying that, he was in that same <clears throat> part of Scripture where you know Pilate comes out and says, "What shall I do with Jesus?" And his whole message is, "What are you going to do with Jesus?" Well, he made a decision that he thought was strategic. That he told them, "I don't want you to, to to respond to that right now. I want you to go home and I want you to simmer on that for seven days, and then we get back next Sunday." Then you respond to Jesus. But that's something you need to go simmer on. Does anybody know what happened very famously in Chicago that week? The Chicago fires. He never saw the congregation again. Most of them were killed. Some of them just got, because farewell farewell hall burned down, didn't have anywhere to meet. And he said for the rest of his life, he said, I will never, ever again not offer a response to the gospel immediately. Never again. He never saw that congregation gathered in one place again. So the day of salvation is now. He said that that was, and he said that to his death, that that was the biggest regret of his ministry. He was still saying that at the end of his life because he didn't know what their response was. Now, Was he in charge of their redemption? Of course not. But he said, but I I was set in a position to say the day of salvation is today. And you've heard me say many times, and I've got to say this speaking everywhere, I try to always say, which is true, I don't get it in every time, but I'll have something similar. But I try to communicate it really clear in the times that I remember and am prompted to say, some of you know that today is the day of salvation. You know it is. And you're saying that you agree with me, and you're even saying that you need to repent. But just not today. I said that is a ploy from your sinful nature and for the demonic forces that are all around us because what the adversary is so hoping is that you'll continue to not today yourself right into hell. Today is the day. Today is the day of salvation. And this is what Paul is doubling down on. He's he's telling the converts that favorable time that Isaiah was looking toward is here. We are in a faith relationship with the one Isaiah was talking about. Salvation has come. That favorable time Isaiah spoke of, it's now. And you are the ambassadors from last week's study of that message so be sure they know the day of salvation is today anybody fired up about that so now we go to three and four um he says uh, we put no obstacle in anyone's way so that no fault may be found with our ministry that's 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 talking about integrity in a ministry four but as servants of god we commend ourselves in every way by great endurance and afflictions, hardships, and calamities. And all of those with a health, wealth and prosperity gospel leave the Bible study at this point. Um, and it's only going to get uglier. Uh, but anyway, so he now talked about the greatness of the meth. I mean of the message. that's the day of salvation is now. Now Paul's going to move to the greatness of the method, how we go about it. And, uh, and he says, we should, avoid any obstacle, okay? And this is just the Greek word here is P-R-O-S-K-E-P-E, long E at the end. And all that word means is an occasion for stumbling. We don't put anything out there in our ministry that confuses people. We don't put anything out there that causes people to go, well, that doesn't look. I mean, what, what have we said? And I know this is tough because we're still fallen people and we still have a sin nature. But he said the goal is that we are above reproach. There's nothing we do, there's nothing the way we go about our ministry that causes someone to lose their way or maybe to lose trust in the message that we bring. I'm telling all of you, you've heard me say it a thousand times, we talked about it on my day job today, um, I do not believe in man-made global warming. And the reason why I don't believe in it, it may be true, I don't believe in man-made climate change, and the only reason why I don't believe in it is the people who tell me they believe in it don't live the the way they should. If you tell me that a place is going to be underwater and then you buy it and put a house there, then you don't really believe that. If you tell me that we need to get out of the airplanes, and I mean now, but you fly to talk about it, that doesn't make any sense to me. I don't follow that. It doesn't look right. And so... We what Paul is saying, don't have a ministry that makes people think that. Well they, they talk about this, but it doesn't look that way. I, I don't know that looks terribly inconsistent. And he says it's very important not to earn redemption, but it's very important to be a good steward of the ministry that we've now been given, the ministry of what? Reconciliation. We've been given that message. be very careful with it. Don't do ministry in a way that causes people to stumble. Everything matters. Make take the most scrupulous care of the ministry that God has given us. Nothing should be done to bring discredit or dishonor to the ministry, period. Amen. And that's the instruction from the apostle Paul, but the ultimate instruction is coming from the Holy Spirit, from God Himself. So verse four, what should I avow? What should, what should I avow? That's what happens in four. Look what happens in four. Now, here, here's what people should hear from us. But as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way by great endurance and afflictions, hardships, and calamities. And the list, by the way, is going to continue in five, and it just gets uglier. So can you imagine what that felt like? You know, there were a lot of things the Apostle Paul and, and, and uh, the other apostles said that were completely unique to the church age. Uh, one of them really was what's just total hogwash when people say that the church somehow degrades women. It was the church that actually elevated women. They had never been elevated to the equality that the church elevated them to in Paul's teachings. Never. That was totally foreign to what these men were hearing and women. So anyway, but so you get up there and you say, "Now let me tell you what we're all about." And you're like, "Yeah, this is going to be our hey. This is what we're going to avow. This is our slogan." This is what we're gonna tell everybody, and you're, you're waiting on it, and you're thinking, hey, "What's next? What are we gonna tell everybody? What's our what do we chant like that?" And Paul said, "I'll tell you what we chant. What we do is if we want to commend ourselves in every way, and you're like, "That's right, a little pat on the back." I like, yeah, we're gonna put. Well, so what should we be doing so we can look at ourselves and say we're doing a good job? And you're thinking this is gonna be a, it's gonna be great. And then Paul comes up and says, well, I'm going to tell you what we're going to embrace is great endurance. And oh, in, in what? Afflictions. Did he, what did he say? Affli- hardships. And? Oh, calamities. And you're like, that, that's who we are? Yeah, that's who we are. Everybody's going to hit our guts. And what we're going to do, we're going to avow right now that when people see how we endure such things, that's going to point them to our faith. And I will tell you this. Unfortunately, most people, not some, would say, nah, I pass. Right. I, I'm, I'm all about being redeemed Whoo! like that. I love this grace. I love this mercy. You had me there. But when you went to close me on the deal and brought in hardships and calamities and afflictions, you kind of lost the sale. I didn't know that's what I was signing up for. And you know what angers me when we don't tell people that? Jesus told them that every time. He never withheld that from them. Who do you think Paul learned this from? Go tell Paul all he must suffer for me. That's right out of the gate. Can you imagine going in and sitting down with somebody saying, "Hey, I want to talk to you about something you might want to consider." Okay, tell me what it's going to be about. Well, there'll be suffering. Okay, but 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 not just suffering. Oh, okay, so there'll actually be calamities as well, and hardships. Um, uh, what else? Oh, I left out afflictions. <laughs> and 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 we're going. We're, you're going to have to access a power that without it you won't be able to endure it. And it'll be so. Severe that when they see you endure it, then they'll be they'll realize I want that. Right. Well, I thought I thought I th- I, th- I thought redemption was free. It was, but it will cost you. It ain't cheap. So that Paul's not holding back. So then Paul says, "I'm not done with my list," uh, but he goes on to say that we should make sure. That we demonstrate and substantiate genuineness of being God's ambassadors. When pe- I, I, guys, I wish it wasn't this way. Trust me, don't go out looking for trouble. You'll get plenty of it. Okay, don't 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 be some weirdo that's looking for all this. It'll come. Just be obedient. Okay, but let me just tell you something. I wish it wasn't that way. I wish it. I wish it. I wish it. In the last two weeks someone has said again i didn't know whether you and your wife were the real deal i wasn't sure what was happening in your life rick cuz i was listening to the show in the beginning and i had to apologize for that and and said but but i will tell you let me tell you when i knew y'all's faith was real what do you think they listed every single calamity we've been through they did not list one blessing not one Now, the blessings are great, and I'm thankful for them, and I certainly have had them. It hadn't all been bad. God's been good to me. But the people weren't really drawn to the faith by that. You know why? We'd all do that. It's when the chips are down, and hardships come, and difficulties, and the whole world screams to you through the megaphone provided to them by the adversary what about your Jesus now? Has he left you? Has he he called you to this? Why would he want you to do this? That's when the rubber meets the road. And Paul knew this. So he knew it would come because it's so effective. And, And then he goes on and he says what we should accept. Some of the characteristics of Paul's ministry. Now listen to this, because you think this is just a continuous list, but he's actually getting a little more specific uh, in 5. It, it, he did write it in a list, but but the, the when you look at the, the way the, this word is unpacked correctly, he actually is trying to tell you something different, not just say the same thing with a bunch of different words. He's trying to be more specific too. So he goes next and he says, beatings, imprisonments, riots, labors, sleepless nights, hunger. Okay. Uh, boy, you're really you're really trying to pack this place out with this message. And he comes back and he says, "But now I'm going to tell you how we respond to those things." But I just said. So, what do you mean? How are you going to respond to a beating? How I want you to respond to an imprisonment? How I want you to respond to sleepless nights? How I want you to respond to riots against you when you won't back down off the truth? I, I'm now going to tell you how you respond to these things. So, the first list is macro. Afflictions, hardships, that's macro, calamities. Now he gets micro, specific things like this. And then he comes in and says and, and six, here's how I want you to respond to those things. Everybody with me? Everybody staying with me? Okay. All right, so here's what he says. By purity, okay, by knowledge, that's important. Underline that one twice. Patience not a strong suit with me, God's still working, kindness, the Holy Spirit, genuine love. So what he's saying is, what I really mean for you is you're going to have to have patience and endurance and affliction. You're going to have to have hardships that come upon you. Uh, you're going to have to have pressure put on you, Okay. And, and I want you to be ready for these things. And he says, because I want you to respond appropriately to these things that are going to happen. I, 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 never, I never heard this put this way. John Phillips, I think it was John Phillips. I, I forgot to put a note who, where I got this from. I'm pretty sure this is John Phillips. Are you all ready for this one? Oh, man. Paul's physical back is an encyclopedia of suffering. If you want to know what he have been through, just have him take your shirt off for you. Now, you may not physically have the marks on you, but I bet we have them. You may have some physical ones, but we all got marks. If you want to see what we've been through, you just have to know our story. You just have to watch our life. And we all bear the scars of what the faith has cost us. And if not, you will. Because it's, it's, it comes with it. So he says... I want you to respond correctly to these things. And I want you to do that because I want people to see that you know what you got yourself into. You treat people who hate you in a way that makes them look bad. You must know the Word of God. There's the knowledge. So when these things are happening, you don't go, what is this? Have knowledge that this is come. Understand why these things are happening. If I hear another person tell me they don't know why we suffer, I'm going to scream. How about when people say that, you know what you really should say? I have never really read the Bible much. They talk about it all the time. We're talking about it right now. We're studying a very small part of the Bible right now. It's full of answers. God's not silent on this. Never has been. Sometimes we just don't know why. I actually can tell you a lot of whys. Remember, you can go back and find it on YouTube if you want to. This is a little site. If you want to go to YouTube, search Rick Burgess Why We Suffer Bible Study, and you will see an individual Bible study this same group did uh, when we were in between two series, and that Bible study will list reason after reason after reason after reason after reason right out of the Word of God. Now, does it? Is it okay to say sometimes I don't understand everything that's going on right now? I'm not sure I fully understand everything God's doing in a situation? Of course. But but that doesn't mean we have no idea why we suffer. That, that, that just, that's just a lie. And, of course, my wife's book, you know, she goes uh, so many verses about that in, in her book as well. So that's another good source on who God is and all this. And as Sherry says, he's right in the middle of it. So he, he says that we, we now need to get our weapons together, okay? So when we when we when we respond to beatings, imprisonments, riots, labors, sleepless nights, hunger, we do that through purity, we do that through knowledge, we do that through patience, which is you know a fruit of the spirit, we do that through kindness. Hey, everybody can be kind. That's not a skill set. We can all be kind. And it shocks people when you are. I had somebody, and I, boy, I'm i new to kindness, brand new. I finally saw it. It's finally getting there. I'm finally becoming a little more kind, okay? And, and it does work, almost like the Bible's true, okay? I had somebody completely shred me this week, and I can't believe I did it supernaturally. I went to the Home Keys, and I said, I'm so sorry that I did anything to offend you I thank you for pointing out the errors and maybe the way I handled that. I pray that God will bless you and that you would forgive me for offending you in any way. Thank you so much for listening. Mm, I thought there's a miracle, an absolute miracle. Because what was my first thing? Well, by golly, I'll set this straight. And, uh, And you know what the person sends back? I've always listened to the show. I'm uh, I, maybe I overreacted. I guess God knows what He's talking about. So, uh, so we can all be kind. That doesn't mean, by the way, you let people run all over you. Never defend yourself if you have the if you have the the right to stand up and somebody's lied about you in Korea, I'm not talking about that. I'm not saying we never defend ourselves. But if we're defending ourselves, we do have to ask why out of pride, arrogance are truly just wanting to stand for the truth. Those 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 are completely different things. If we're just doing it to defend yourself, usually it's probably wrong. If I'm doing it to defend the faith or defend truth, I'm, pro- I'm probably okay. Um, so, so then he says, I like this one. Do you love him? He's got all this practical stuff by purity, by knowledge, by patience, by kindness. The Holy Spirit. How about that one? If we've been redeemed, we've got the Holy Spirit. Pretty good tool. Powerful. It was what raised Jesus from the dead. And we have access to it. He says, if you can't lean on anything else, just lean on the Holy Spirit. Let, let the Holy Spirit discern the situation for you. Let the Holy Spirit speak for you. Let the Holy Spirit comfort you. Let the Holy Spirit give you energy when they didn't, you couldn't sleep last night because they kept you up all night because that cell was hard to sleep in. And it's hard to sleep because your back so has been torn to shreds and you can't roll over. Just cry out for the Holy Spirit. Say, I don't know how I'm going to face tomorrow. And let the Holy Spirit be there with you. And then he says, he doesn't say just love, does he? He says genuine love. What does that mean? Sometimes we patronize people. It's not genuine. He said, I want you to get to something supernatural. What's that? Genuine love. Well, you're right. A lot of times that does call for supernatural help, doesn't it? Genuine love. So then he goes into seven, and now he's going to get in almost like weapons that we're going to be given uh, to, to, to be ready for what's ahead as well. And he says, by truthful speech and the power of God with weapons of righteousness for the right hand and for the left. What a powerful image that is. He said, you have the word, the divine word of truth. I respond with divine power. I respond with the power of God. And I have weapons that are given to me by God, weapons of righteousness. This is what you, you. This is a great way to sum it up. Are you ready? Write this one down if you're taking notes. When I'm facing all the things Paul just talked about, I'm going to face those things, and I'm going to take a divine position. See, that's different than flesh. I'll see if I can't find something in my flesh to overcome this. Well, that usually is going to turn into a disaster. I got to go access a divine position. And you know what Jesus says? I've made you fully righteous. Here's righteousness for your right hand, here's righteousness for your left hand. You got me. Access the power of God. I give you access to the power of God as your Lord. I give you access to the power. I don't know about y'all. Do you ever forget that? And I'm like, what am I doing? I have access to the power, and I'm just got it over here, like a, sitting over on my desk. And I won't go get it. I'm like, a, you know, that analogy y'all hear me overuse, where I pull my car up to the gas pump and sit there and go, I don't know why I'm not getting any gas. Well, get out and put put, put it in. I mean, you know, and, and pull the trigger. So now, verses eight through ten, and and eight through ten, he's going to say, how, this is how we fight suffering. Through honor and dishonor, through slander and praise, we are treated as impostors and yet are true. Nine, as unknown and yet well-known, as dying and behold we live, as punished and yet not killed. Powerful stuff here. Look at 10. As sorrowful yet always rejoicing, as poor yet making many rich, as having nothing yet possessing everything. Please underline having nothing yet possessing everything. That's one of the most powerful parts of this these verses. How to fight suffering. No foe can intimidate us, no matter if they honor us. I'll tell you, I just told somebody this yesterday, you know, and I reference dad a lot in here. And of course now he's he's seeing this in perfection. But I remember when I was going into the entertainment business, and my dad is a football, was a football coach, and so I don't know how to break this to some of y'all. Y'all think it's a religion, but it's really, it really is the entertainment business. I know some of y'all think it's much bigger than that, but that's really all it is. It's supposed to be entertaining. Uh, but anyway, so um, so Dad said, as coaches, you know, the wins and losses, he said, I know you're not going into literal coaching, but you are going into the entertainment business, meaning that there's going to be crowds of people that either like you or don't like what you do. So we, we our, our, our uh, professions are actually more similar than you think. And I said, yes, sir. He said, so let me prepare you for this. The people – that honor you and think you are the greatest thing that has ever happened, they are wrong. He goes, now, on the other end of the spectrum, the people that say you're the worst thing that has ever happened and you're terrible and horrible and shouldn't even be on the radio, they are wrong too. You're somewhere in between. Don't get caught up in the praise and don't get caught up in the criticism. Know who you are, know why you're there, and do your job the way it's supposed to be done. You, you got to be real careful listening to either one of those extremes, and I found that to be very, very true. Uh, but so what Paul is saying, the same thing: if we are 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 going up there and we're going to preach the gospel, and everybody says we love it, is that why we're preaching it? He says so. So so sometimes we're going to preach it, and everybody says, and we hate it, and we hate you. He said you got to preach it either way. You can't just go and say I'll preach it as long as everybody thinks I'm great. That, that's, not, that's not the position that we that we take. We're not we be careful. I'm not going to be intimidated by my enemies, but also don't be pulled away by your supposed applause. They both can be dangerous. So we stay focused no matter what's happening. How many times have we seen someone with a powerful ministry that all the accolades were too much to handle? Human beings struggle with that, don't we? Because ultimately, we want to place ourselves where God is. And he'll share his glory with no one. Okay? So, but at the same time, you can't refuse to go back up in there and preach the gospel because everybody's being mean to you. And everybody didn't like me. Upsets everybody. He said, "We do it either way." And 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 then he goes on to say, "If you belittle me or believe me, doesn't matter. If I'm slandered, people's opinion of me is not my motivator. Uh, I want to be able to stand before God." And he says, "If they lie about me, that's all right. Doesn't matter." He says, "You got to be so in sync with 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 the ministry of Jesus Christ to be so in sync with Him." That you can properly discern all these things, and you're steady, and you stay the course, and you are not distracted by any of it, whether it be on the good side or on the critical side. Know that if you know what the truth is, it doesn't matter if they lie about you, right? Anybody ever been lied about? Yep. Uh, so, so then he says, verse nine: We're not ignored, because we can't be ignored. Why? because the message is too powerful I love that you know know this you you can't be ignored because the message is too powerful it's a message of God who cares about us if you're not impressed with us you're going to be impressed with God right think about this and this one I love this one and I had this last week and I forgot it remember Paul is talking in this letter and even in the other letter that we have. And he's talking about the fact that he has critics. He has people who really oppose him. I mean, physically, certainly slandering him. But think about what he's saying about the message. Listen, this is good. Does anybody know the name of any of Paul's critics? Anybody know Paul's name? Where are they? compared to where he is. Paul's message was too powerful. The critics were overwhelmed by the power of God. We have no idea who these people are. They are nameless. They are forgotten. The Apostle Paul's not forgotten. Can you imagine the day that we arrive and you go over to somebody like the Apostle Paul and say, Thank you. Can any of us, I mean, I know it's arguable, but I don't know that we have anybody in, in, in the New Testament that's, that has a stronger ministry than the Apostle Paul. I and mean, we got some hosses, don't misunderstand me, but I'm telling you, you can make the argument that, that, that the things that are on his resume, and why? And this is what I love about teaching men this. Because the very thing that made Paul a problem Turned out to be an incredible asset. He did work hard. He was, he did have zeal. He took that same passion of persecuting the church, same skill set, same attitude, and God said, Let me transform that and let you advance the church. I like the skill set because I gave it to you. You're just using it wrong. He doesn't want to take away how he made you. He wants to take away how sin's making you. I'm going to say that again. He's not trying to take away how he made you. He's trying to fix how sin has made you. And then you become the pure skill set that he created in the beginning, and you use it for him, which was always what he intended. What's our number one? If you don't know anything else, you're here for one reason as the redeemed, to glorify God. And if you don't know that, at least get that today. So then he says in the second part of, of nine, dying but not dead. As we die, we live. We may be beaten, but we are not killed. We're, and, oh, this is the big one. Oh, this is the one nobody likes. I'm going this for myself, for my notes. I need to unline that. Do you know how Paul looked at all this? Here it comes. Man, I hope everybody's listening. Don't be distracted. You know what he said? I'm not being beaten because God is killing me. I'm being beaten because I'm being disciplined. I'm being made stronger. Amen. God has said this is good for me. It's good for him to be glorified. I'm not, God is not out to kill me because if they kill my body because of his redemption, I just live. I'll tell you what God is doing, he's disciplined me. And he disciplines those that he loves. Anybody ever been through a patch where you said, boy, God sure does love me right now. Can you see it that way? Paul saw suffering as a spiritual education and growth and development. I have learned more from difficulty about God and about myself than anything else. Unfortunately, that's just the way I am but it sure does work. Verse 10, we're sorrowful of the way things are. We hate that it's going on. We're grieved. But because of the hope in Jesus, Paul says we are still joyful. People say that we're poor. We're not poor because what the way they see poor, I'm telling you, we're rich. And that's the one I told you to underline. He said, it may look to you like we have nothing, but we know that we have everything. The world may look at us and say we have nothing. But if we have Jesus, we have everything. Now, the other end of that spectrum, you may think you have everything. But if you don't have Jesus, you ain't got nothing. Don't forget to flip that around. I don't care how wealthy you may think you are, how much stuff you may think you got. If you don't have Jesus, you're pathetic and poor. You got nothing, and uh, and I I love that. It appears to the world we have nothing, but we know we have everything. Verse eleven. We have spoken freely to you, Corinthians. Our heart is wide open. Now, see, I like this. What he's saying is, I'm clear about what I'm declaring. I'm I'm clear to my friends. I'm clear to the converts. I am open. I hold nothing back. I am an open book, my heart is open. what I say flows freely from my heart. I'm not playing games with you. How many of you prefer to be around people that don't play games with you? I have, I have no I have I have no time for people who play games with me. I mean I even, don't want to, don't want this come across as as callous. even when I'm trying to help somebody, which is where i worked on my patients, But if I ever get the indication that you don't really want to be helped and you're playing games with me, I'm out. Because there's people waiting that really do want help, and they're going to listen to what they're told, and they're going to apply. You really didn't come to me for help. You came to me to hang out with me. You pretended to need help. But you really don't have any intention of changing. And, and, and see, that's false pretense. So you're playing games with me. And what Paul says, know that I don't say things for any other reason other than this is what God's told me to say. I am an open book. My heart is open to you. Uh, I hold nothing back. Now, don't take this that Paul took any joy in saying something that he thought was provocative or mean. Now, he's not saying that. What he's saying is, I love you so much, I'm not going to play games with you. I've been given a message from God, and I'm going to openly let it flow. I'm an open book. I don't hold anything about You know my flaws. You know my problems. You know what I've been through. I'm an open book, and you can trust me. Then he goes on to say about his opinion. We're not hearing that either. You are not restricted by us, but you're restricted in your own affections. Now, that's opinion. Paul, you, you, ever, you ever had that where somebody says, well, what do you think? You really want to know what I think? So you think I'm the problem. That's what Paul's saying. But if you want to know what I think, you're the problem. I'm an open book. you all the ones playing games. And he's telling these Corinthians, he said, those of you that are restricted, it's not because of us. If you're having problems with with Christ, you're having problems with your faith, you all having problems in this church. It's not on us. Now, he's saying this is his opinion. My opinion is, because I'm an open book, you have restricted yourself and you are the one that's holding yourself back from being right with God. You, you ever had that before? I've been there. Have you ever been to the point where you know you need to take the next step in your faith and you, I think I'm good. You ever, you ever tried to counsel with people and work with people and you can tell you can't get them to come on. They've stopped where they're comfortable and they're like, I can't. I can't, I can't take the next step. You, you Why? you know what they really should say? I'm afraid it's going to cost me. Well, at least you're honest. You know, but but Paul's saying, I'm here for you. I'm here to help. I'm here to teach. I'm here to advance the kingdom. You're welcome to join us, and you think that I'm not letting you join us. No, you're not letting you join us. You're holding yourself back. I ain't holding you back. And he makes that very, very clear. So then he says, in return... I speak as to children, widen your hearts also. You know what's important about that? He said, I think your feelings are limiting you. You got to come off the emotion. It's not our lack of love for you. It's your own feelings. And here's what 13 says. And this is important. You're not going to influence people if you tell them to do something that you're not willing to do. So what Paul just said is, I want you to open your heart to me. But first, I'm going to assure you, I'll open mine to you. I'm not asking you to open your heart and then I won't open mine. I think your own feelings are holding you back. I want you to know all the things you've said about me, all the things that maybe we didn't see eye to eye on, I'm over it. I'll let all that go. If you're hanging on to it, I'm not. So he says to them, I'm ready. I know you're my converts. I know that I led you to Christ. I'm here to teach. I'm here to, to invite you into this ministry. I'm here to do this ministry with you. I have opened my heart to you In return, as my converts, the children of the faith, knew. Now you open your hearts. And you know why that's important? He's saying, I, I, we, we can't do this if you're not willing to open your heart to me. I told you I'm willing to open my heart to you, but you've got to be willing to open your heart to me. Well, there's a lot in here, guys. So I guess the thing that we have to ask ourselves, let's now be Paul's converts. Indirectly, we all are. Because we're reading the words, and a lot of times the words that Paul was prompted to say by the Holy Spirit have impacted all of our lives. But really what he's saying is, I'm speaking to you as if I am representing Jesus. And here's what Jesus would say. His arms are open. He is willing to receive you. The reason why you're not right with him is because of you holding back, not him. He hadn't held back. Look what he did on the cross. Look what he did when he walked out. But I've laid out for you. This is important. Don't forget what we've already talked about. I've laid out for you just like Jesus. I've said what? Deny yourself count the cost, pick up your cross. He said it in his own way, but he basically said the same thing. And you got to be honest with yourself. Are you willing to take that step? Are you willing to say, by the grace of God and the power of the Holy Spirit, not by my own strength, I'm in, and I am fully in? and I accept the consequences here on earth that may come my way as long as I'm right with you. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for today. Thank you for once again, speaking clearly through the apostle Paul. Um, Lord, we don't know how it all works fully where you are right now as we await our time to be with you or you to come get us. Um, but however is appropriate, just for some guys sitting in a room in Alabama, could you tell Paul thank you for us? We appreciate his example. I know it. he would just say, we should just talk straight to you that he's nothing. I acknowledge that, and that's true. But um, we sure are thankful that you called him and what you did through him. Lord, will you help us to be more like you? Will you help us to not be afraid to take that next step? Will you continue to draw us to you? by the power of your Holy Spirit. And today, Lord, help us to assess either, A, we're not justified. We need to repent. We need to leave faith in ourselves, but our faith in you. Or B, we're justified, but we we are trying not to take the next step of sanctification. And we don't want to do it because we know it's going to cost us. We just give us the peace that comes only with being right with you today, Lord. Thank you. In your holy name we pray. Amen. Thanks, guys. Thank y'all.